Hello everyone, I am Katie and I'm here today with Health Formation, the podcast where we give you health and wellness news to use. We have a very exciting topic today. Um, we are going to be talking about physical activity. I'm your host by myself today. I don't have a co-host with me, but I have two wonderful guests from our physical therapy department here um, on campus. And thank you guys. I have Jen and Frank with me today. Hello, guys. Hello. Hi. How are you guys doing? Good. Have a great day. They're a little stressed, but I am very grateful for them to carve out a little bit to come chat with me and us about physical activity. Um, So thank you guys for being here. Um, So if you can, why don't you just tell us a little bit about your backgrounds and how you landed in at Campbell PT School. Uh, So my background is in exercise physiology. Um, I've been a longtime lover of exercise. I landed in the PT school here at Campbell um, because they needed a director of research, and I really, really like crunching numbers. Um, um, well, that's good. <laughs> designing research. That's projects. a good strength to have because not a lot of people love that. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yes, my name is Frank Tadini. I uh, have been a full-time faculty member here since 2017. And I've been working in academia since 2015. And um, we just love it here in North Carolina and love the university and its mission. And I was really excited to come on and talk today because I actually have had the opportunity to be the faculty lead for our pro bono clinic. And we've been working with um, Jen to incorporate some of the exercises, medicine principles into that clinic. And I thought that would be some useful information for you all. Yes, that's awesome. So when we kind of came up with this podcast, Frank was one of the first people to come up with the topic. So I'm really excited to have you. I have a random question for you. Where are you from? So originally I'm from the Midwest. Okay. Are you Italian? Yes. Okay. <laughs> There's not many Italians here, so it's nice. You know, I'm also Italian, so we are kindred we spirits. Yes. Yeah. I tell Dr. Paolini and Dr. Cassioppo that we're the only two Italian, three Italians in Harnett County. <laughs> um, well, thank you guys for being here. So I guess we'll start out our discussion with something that Jen has been working hard at um, at her time here which is called Exercise as Medicine. Um, so Jen, tell us a little bit about what Exercise as Medicine is and your involvement with it. So Exercise as Medicine is a global campaign that was started by the American College of Sports Medicine um, around about 10 years ago. And what they do is provide a wealth of resources if you go to exercisesmedicine.org. Um, and they have three distinctive areas of resources for both a physician or a healthcare provider and then for um, personal trainers or exercise experts, and then for the community too. And so decide who you are and what niche you fit into, and you can find resources that um, can help you improve your exercise or provide exercise and activity recommendations to patients um, without having to reinvent the wheel, which I think is very, very important. that is important. For any healthcare provider under the sun um, and for a lot of different personal trainers. Um, And especially interestingly, they have a prescription for health series that if you're working with a patient who you're not really sure what to do with exercise prescription for their chronic disease, they may have a specific exercise prescription that you can just look up and hand off. So, Um, And then Campbell, we are part of the EIM initiative for on campus as well. And they have um, a couple of different 
recognition programs with uh, exercises medicine on campus. And basically the whole point of this is to promote activity and exercise for students, faculty, and staff. And um, so we put on education programs and we put on different exercise events as well as we partner with health services in evaluating physical activity in patients and providing exercise recommendations for patients. So I'm proud to say that we've been doing it four years strong and received gold level, gold level recognition all Woo-hoo. four years. So killing it. Yeah, go Campbell. And this year we were only, um, there were only two universities in all of North Carolina to achieve gold level recognition. Wow. And it was Campbell and NC State. So that's awesome. It was it was good to run with the big dogs. Yeah, we are one. definitely <laughs> a small dog in the yes. NC State. Um, so if someone is goes to a provider that is exercises medicine or involved with exercise medicine, what might that exercise prescription look like? I, so it can take a variety of different ways to prescribe exercise. What EIM actually provides is a prescription pad if right. the provider would like to use it. And so it is as simple as you need to exercise, you know, five days a week, circle that. Um, what would you like your modality to be? Walking, running, riding a bike, whatever, circle that. And right. then give an intensity prescription and from there. Um, we utilize those here in health services. Additionally, um, what we have done is provide a more detailed strength program. So if the patient is in need of some type of resistance training, um, the next question is, will you be resistance training in a gym or at home? And we have two different home base or we have a home-based program and a, and a gym-based program that can just hand off and it's plug and play for those patients. That's and awesome. Not everybody has that, but again, you can go to exercisesmedicine.org to look up more resources. Great. So that's definitely a great resource. I'll link exercisesmedicine.org in the show notes if anyone's interested in utilizing that um, for themselves or for your patients to recommend And I was checking it out before you guys came, and I thought it was cool that they did have a list of just, like, all different um, chronic conditions. And so if you have patients that have certain chronic conditions, you can just click on that and then print out a specific exercise regimen for them and hand it off to them. So you don't definitely don't have to reinvent the wheel. Yeah. One other thing I should make note of, too, is that another purpose of EIM is to connect a healthcare provider with a personal trainer so that we often, you know, give prescription for, you know, a variety of pills and then we tell somebody go out and exercise, but that doesn't necessarily mean they have the tools to be able to do that. So there's a network um, that's provided in EIM to um, help the healthcare provider make a recommendation to an EIM credentialed individual for fitness training. That's great. So that would be similar to a provider recommending a nutritionist if they're giving a nutrition prescription. That's awesome. Um, so anything else about exercises medicine or did we pretty much, we pretty much covered it? I, I think that's the premise of the program. Awesome. <laughs> Love it. So I'm glad that we're gold status. That's awesome. Um, all right. So next we'll talk about a little bit, Frank mentioned our pro bono clinic and how they're utilizing exercises medicine um, in their clinic. Yeah, this was really a great fit because when I came to, to Campbell and I've worked in some pro bono settings before, the face of physical therapy has really changed. Like if you think back even five or six years ago, our healthcare in general, but especially physical therapy, it was very reactive in nature. You hurt yourself, you go to therapy. Um, You have a heart attack, you go to the doctor. And then what happened, which I don't even have to tell you this being in pharmacy, that when pain started being a big issue and the opioids and these things, 
physical therapy had to start to take on new dimensions and say, yes. well, what are we going to do now that we have all these people with chronic pain and they're not getting the, the same medications that they were used to getting? So we had to start to evolve as a profession. And part of that evolvement also started to look at people more as like a whole person. So we could say, oh, well, Katie, you're coming in because of your knee, but we're also concerned about your overall health and well, how is your heart and are you getting enough exercise? And that's kind of broadening our horizons. And we said, well, what a great opportunity for us to incorporate the exercises medicine here because Jen had already implemented it. We already had gold recognition status. So in 2017, we just started to do a poll of our patients who use the pro bono clinic. And at this time, that clinic is pretty much just for Campbell faculty and students. So we had a couple students who volunteered to help us with this. And um, we started asking their three questions, which are the number of days per week of moderate exercise, the number of minutes of moderate physical activity during each session of exercise, and the number of days per week of moderate strength training. And we just tallied that information up. And lo and behold, at the end of the semester, we usually see about 25 new patients every semester. Then they have follow-up visits. Over three quarters of those people did not meet the minimum exercise requirements wow. um, of 150 minutes of, of vigorous, of moderate exercise or 75 minutes of vigorous exercise. So we said, oh, well, that's interesting. And then Jen helped us with the statistics, but we found that there was a negative Numbers cor- person. Yeah, right? <laughs> Yeah, we found that there was a negative correlation between the number of days of exercise and the number of days of strength training with heart rate and blood pressure. Now, that's not novel in itself, but it was the first time that had been done with a pro bono clinic on a university campus like this. Right. And it's interesting, too, because you would think that if students are in a graduate program or if you have faculty at a university, they would be more apt to follow those guidelines or those recommendations. At least that's what I would think. Um, But obviously you found that that might not be true. Yeah, it was really surprising to us because it wasn't all, sometimes you can make a case, oh, well, the faculty, maybe they're not getting the exercise. But it was more than half of those were students. Yeah. So how, um, in the questions you asked, you talked about moderate intensity physical activity, just in case people are unfamiliar with how intense, moderate intensity physical activity is. How do you define that? I'll let Jen take that one. So the physical activity is a vital sign tool that EIM provides actually has examples of that. So it, you know, is considered brisk walking, dancing, um, gardening, things that are going to raise your heart rate up to a moderate level um, in the sense that you can still talk while you're doing the activity um, without being completely out of breath. So that's what most of those activities fall under. Right. So that's normally what I hear, too. You can talk, but you can't sing. I was just making sure that that was what you used. Um, Awesome. So how do you, in utilizing the exercise or the ACSM exercise guidelines, how do you incorporate that into your recommendations, either at the pro bono clinic or with the EIM guidelines? Well, so for the pro bono clinic, after that first semester, we saw there was a need, like, oh, well, this is a a problem for us. So what are we going to do? At that point, uh, we got together with Jen and with our clinical research team, and we said, well, what is there is there out there that we can that we can do about this? So then, starting in 2018, now anyone who comes into the clinic, um, they they do a systems check where their vital signs get screened and those things to, to make sure even that they can participate in exercise. But if they don't meet these requirements, 
then we use something called a life counseling tool, which is basically, it's a very short, short document, but basically it's like a free exercise counseling session. So we talk to people about um, more just like what things they like doing, what they enjoy doing, what barriers they have to exercise. Everyone has a lot of barriers. I can tell you that. <laughs> Time is the number one reason I agree. said they don't exercise. Yes. And especially for our graduate students. Yep. It, and, you know, I really don't, I like using that because that goes along with, like, the change in our profession where it used to be, whether it was your doctor or your PT, well, you need to lose weight and exercise more. And that just in itself just doesn't. Not helpful. No. No, it has to be like, okay, let me sit down. Let's talk about this. Like, like what things do you like doing? How can we try to squeak in some exercise? Because even if you're complete, if you're completely sedentary, even 10 minutes of activity is really beneficial. Right. Um, and then sometimes when you start getting into the half hour, it becomes a little bit more challenging to get people engaged. So do you think overall healthcare providers might not be talking to their patients about this in the way that they should? Um, is that maybe why people aren't? doing it? I, so I'll take that. No, healthcare <laughs> providers are not talking to their patients enough about exercise or activity. Um, and I'll put myself in a dangerous spot here to say <laughs> you that. You can get on your soapbox. Um, <laughs> one reason would be the exercise education provided in our current medical schools is little to none. Right. Um, <laughs> that backs up what we discussed with nutrition as okay. well. Yes, absolutely. Um, and so to actually look a healthcare provider as the all-knowing voice on exercise and activity is not correct to do. Um, but I also think it's an uncomfortable conversation and difficult to have. And there's also barriers related to time that a provider has with a patient. And sometimes they have to prioritize what questions and topics can get covered. And oftentimes we see exercise and activity fall to the bottom of that priority list. So I think going back to what we said earlier um, of having a personal trainer that you can refer your patients to because truly time is limiting in your discussion with patients. So providers have maybe 15 minutes if they're lucky with their patient. So having that referral process is definitely important, someone to have in their back pocket. And I actually hadn't even thought about that until we had this discussion. So that's cool. Yeah, I, I think the referral process works um, if, if people can utilize it. Uh, I think kind of the big pie in the sky dream is, you know, making at least a familiarization to exercise appointment with somebody, a billable activity with insurance. Yeah, that would I mean, be amazing. I, I don't expect that to happen in my lifetime, to tell you the truth, but... <laughs> that would still, that would be awesome. <laughs> but, I mean, there's... Preventative care. Yes, and and right now our healthcare system is not set up very well for that. Right, we should, we need to be proactive, not reactive. I yeah. say that all the time. Um, so just talking a little bit more about the exercise guidelines, what should people know to meet physical activity goals? What should they be trying to do on a weekly, I guess, daily basis? And we had mentioned this just briefly before, but one of the interesting things when you look at the guidelines is that um, really for just about any adult, they're um, recommending 150 to 300 minutes of moderate intensity exercise. And you might think if you have a disability or you have a chronic disease, that that kind of gets you off the hook or that you have a lower <laughs> requirement, but that's you actually, don't. <laughs> you don't, it doesn't really help much, but then that's where we get into that situation of, well, who can just go out there and exercise and, and, and how is it safe to exercise? And I like that physical therapists are starting to go into this role and we have direct access in North Carolina where, so for instance, like the people who see us in the pro bono clinic, 
they don't have a physician's prescription. They just come to see us. Right. So we have to be a little bit better than that. But in areas where people do have chronic diseases, sometimes it is still nice to have the assurance of the doctor um, because it would be a shame to just have fear prevent people from doing this. Yes, totally. Um, so what is the difference? And I guess we talked a little bit about this earlier too, but exercise versus activity and how do we know if we're actually engaging in exercise versus just non-exercise activity? So exercise is typically a planned and structured event where you say, I'm going to go blah, blah, blah for 10 minutes. If you chose to do an exercise snack versus having Ooh, like a, a snack, that's yes. cute. <laughs> exercise snack versus exercise meals. Do you Team use that? Trademark. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I love it. I teach that to the students all the time. I'm starting to use them. But yeah, so... A 10-minute exercise snack versus, you know, a 30-minute exercise meal or longer. Um, whereas physical activity is generalized movement. And so, um, you know, one really incredible physician and researcher, um, Dr. James Levine, he uh, he used to at least work out of Mayo Clinic. I don't know if he still does. Um, but he was the one that coined the term uh, non-exercise activity thermogenesis. Neat. Yes, neat. And um, he has an incredible book called Get Up that it really inspires you to like create more motion throughout your day. So, and that's what physical activity generally is. So I would qualify physical activity as vacuuming and doing your dishes by hand versus letting your dishwasher do them. Mowing okay. the yard. Also like that. vacuuming is intense. Like my heart rate gets up when I vacuum my house. That reflects and I'm upon fit. your fitness. <laughs> Um, okay, fine. You must have some really intense vacuuming habits. Maybe I'll edit that out. Having <laughs> shag carpet. Yes, just after the day shag carpet. From the seventies. Um, okay, so back to your neat. Yes, yeah, so neat and just general daily activities that we do. Like I, one thing I see that is really egregious in limiting physical activity is people drive to go get their mail versus walking oh my gosh, I hate that. out or they drive their kids to the bus stop. And I get like, even on a beautiful day, it's not raining. It's not, you know, sub zero temperatures or anything like that. And rather than choosing activity. But I think the thing is that it's not like you're making the choice to get in your car and do it. It's just what you do. So you have to change your habits. Sure. That it's the habit to walk. I always park the furthest away just so I can get an extra 250 steps in when I'm walking from my car to the health center in the morning, even though the first spot may be available, you just have to work it into your daily activity that this is my spot and I park here every day. And yeah, I, I feel like we're in a modern world that's created a lot of opportunities for efficiency, which is wonderful yep. in time saving, but our health is the negative detriment that's happening as a consequence of that. So um, if you can find ways to create more inefficiencies yes. in your life to allow a little bit more of that activity, that will probably help you quite a bit. Right. And when you think about the rise in obesity since the 80s to now, the a lot of the factors that contribute to that are lifestyle factors. So our lives in general do not promote us to be moving and healthy. They promote us to sit in front of a computer all day and do our work and go home and watch TV and you have to actually plan to move. Whereas previously, people would just be moving more during the day. 
So that's kind of more of that non-exercise activity versus planned exercise. Yeah, I would even say like to work in inefficiency to a work day, mm -hmm. instead of sending an email to somebody that's on a different floor than you, go upstairs yep. or downstairs. Like take the 300 steps it takes to yep. walk and go ask them the question face to face. Because first of all, you're going to have some serious benefits, not only to your health, but probably you're going to get the answer you need in a timely manner and probably avoid the risk of um, miscommunication and yes. tone yep. in emails. That so many bad happen. <laughs> <laughs> so you're talking a little bit about steps, and this ties into a question that I was actually asked that I'm going to present to you. So we have heard that recommendation of 10,000 steps per day for moving, and that should be the goal of how many steps we should walk. So does that recommendation have merit, and should we trying to walk 10,000 steps per day. So the newest research has proven that 10,000 steps is a bit much. And yeah, good news, good. everybody. So if you're doing your 10,000, you're exceeding the goal. Um, and you're exceeding it by 25%. So the, the new recommendation is somewhere around 7,500 steps per day is what you're aiming for. Now, I will say this. If you are somebody who regularly gets 10,000 steps without trying, don't try to reduce the number of steps. <laughs> Keep keeping on yeah. um, and achieve you know that bigger goal. You will reap bigger benefits. So if someone is reaching 10,000 steps per day, how does that play into their activity or their exercise for the week, that 150 minutes? So it's going to depend upon what that intensity of those steps were. Okay. Because the, the wearables are truly a physical activity monitor like your general Fitbit or whatever, okay? Um, and then some of them will measure exercise and activity minutes as well. Um, so keep in mind and be conscientious of, you know, if you're going to go for a walk, you know, how long did you spend doing that walk? Um, you know, did you do it at an intensity that was at a threshold enough at least to mark as moderate intensity? Okay, that makes sense. So thinking about how quickly you're walking and the the speed and the briskness. Yes. Um, so one other question that I have before we wrap up is just um, some of the benefits of exercise for our patients in addition to weight management. Yeah, we, and I, I just looked some of this up beforehand. Um, in Is that in addition to not only the, the lifestyle benefits for the obesity and the weight management, some of the ACS um, M research shows that uh, it reduces anxiety and blood pressure, improves cognition, which is nice for our students because we talk about exercise yes. throughout the lifespan, really. Mm -hmm. um, and the exercise requirements for children is a little bit higher. Um, improves bone health, especially for those who are older. Osteoporosis. Yep. Reduce depression. It helps prevent eight types of cancer. We already mentioned diabetes and um, heart disease. It reduces the fall risk in older adults. And if you are an older adult and you fall, you have less a chance of getting hurt if you exercise wow. more. Um, and, and then, of course, the excessive weight gain. Awesome. I, can I add to that? Yes, please. I would also argue that if you can exercise regularly, chances are really good. You're going to um, reduce issues that you may have with chronic disease per, you know, for something like hypertension. So you could probably end up having the benefit of saving money on pharmaceutical intervention right. um, for your hypertension. And you could get richer each month. Cool. not having those pills. Reward yourself. <laughs> it's a reward. So not only do you feel better because you're less anxious, less depressed, and less stressed, you're also more rich. 
Yes. <laughs> I love it. Um, so what kind of exercise things do you guys enjoy doing? Oh, well, you know, I, and it's funny because I do try to go by the guidelines. So when it's nice out, I, I will get outside and jog or walk. Okay. Um, and I'll definitely do that for the, the 150 minutes. And I try to do my 30 minutes, but I'll do the snacks, as Jen said, like on breaks in between yep. classes or lunch. Um, and then also in the, in the guidelines is I'll go to, uh, the gym twice a week and do at least 30 minutes of strength training, like whole body. Awesome. So that's, that's definitely important. And can people work in the strength training without having to join a gym? Absolutely. Um, there's all kinds of wonderful body weight exercises that you can do. Um, you can create resistance, um, in a variety of different ways. Grab a gallon of water and yep. that thing can be heavy and you can move that guy around definitely <laughs> um children if you have uh young children you can carry them and move them in a variety of different ways to create resistance too or just run around with them and then they're getting the benefit as absolutely well. <laughs> all right sorry so you can talk about your what you you run i i run i lift uh i walk my dog all the time i have a five-year-old where we play chase a Ooh, lot that's and keep her lively can you guys talk, and I'm sitting here with, with two females who do exercise, but it seems to me from a physical therapy standpoint, it is a little bit harder to try to get females on board with the strength training. Huh. So I, I probably am quite the outlier, um, having been involved in sport and athletics for a long time. So um, the first time I lifted a bar, I was 15 years old and I haven't stopped since then. So uh... <laughs> Okay, I'm the opposite of that. Um, I never played sports or anything in high school, and I, I actually do pure bar. So when I started out at pure bar, I didn't really have any muscle tone or definition at all, and I actually hated it at first. Sorry to anyone who does pure bar that's <laughs> listening to this. Maybe my instructor. I love you now. But then I got a muscle. I had a bicep. I was like, I have a bicep, and I loved it. So now I really appreciate the tone in my arms, and um, I've actually been lifting some weights now, a little bit of heavier weights, and so I think that that's awesome. But also disclaimer is at Pure Bar, we use two-pound weights, and they're very light weights and, and high reps. And so, like Jen said, I was able to get tone and definition in my arms just using two-pound weights, so you can probably find something in your house that is two pounds. You don't have to lift heavy weights to get that those muscles and see those different things. And so that's, I guess, the benefit for me is I appreciate the way that it looks in addition to obviously the health benefits. Yeah, I think now, thankfully, Michelle Obama arms was a yes. thing, right? And everybody loved that. She was praised for those. Also, Jessica Biel has fantastic arms. She does. <laughs> um, and so I, I think the concept of women bulking up is no longer really that big of a problem or a stigma. Um, but I think most women um, avoid strength training because of time. <laughs> Getting to a gym is difficult. Um, and then they don't know a lot about it. And so, and if you are in a gym trying to do oh my gosh. any free weights or strength training, it's very you're intimidating having to jockey for space in between a lot of men who aren't always very nice right. and accommodating. <laughs> um, and when you when you feel unsure of yourself from the beginning, um, that can be difficult. So I, I think just some easy recommendations are there's some wonderful apps and um, YouTube videos and things like that out there by a bunch of reputable people that can help you figure out what an exercise should look like and how to you know program some resistance training into your life. 
And if you can fit it into your budget, trying to do a group activity or classes, I live by that. So then you actually get help in people telling you what to do. And it also holds you accountable as well for your physical activity. You know, one other thing about the groups, I love that idea because there's nothing wrong with exercising at home or watching videos. But if you go to a good group, hopefully the instructor is actually watching yes. you, giving you feedback to make sure you don't hurt yourself or that yes. you're doing things properly. Yep. If anyone wants to come to Pure Bar with me and you're in the North Carolina Triangle area, I would welcome you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the you did mention apps. Are there any apps or anything that you would recommend? I know there's a million out there. Yeah. So... There, there are a million out there. Um, the one that I've used for years and years and years is called Workout Trainer by Skimble. Um, I, I feel like this app, the creators owe me money because I've recommended it so many times. Um, and you can find it both on Android and Apple-related devices. Um, there's a variety of um, apps called uh, by a company called Fitify, F-I-T-I-F-Y. And they have different apps for like I want to do kettlebell training there's a mm. fitify kettlebell I want to do cardio there's a fitify cardio so there's probably like nine or ten different ones depending upon the equipment that you have to utilize and what your aim is for that day those are just two easy ones to start off with and then I would say if you're looking for something to select differently um always read the reviews yeah, people leave. Um, and if you are a regular app user, leave reviews for others. Yep. <laughs> I've used one I can say I've used is the Nike app. And that one has great workouts. And they have different all different levels of intensity. And I just, I use it in college. And I would just do it in my bedroom. And it was perfectly fine. And I didn't have any weights or anything. And they have really good workouts on that app too. Um, well, thank you guys very much for joining me today in this discussion. I think that We've had a great discussion. Um, and just to wrap up, my final question that I ask all my guests for each of you to just give us your one health and wellness tip, your best and biggest tip that you have for your, for your patients and for our listeners. You know, it's just to move. Even if you're sore, don't make yourself more sore, but move. Okay, love it. I would say, yes, exercise and activity is difficult especially to get started like literally the process of I have my shoes on I can get going I really don't want to you know kind of stigma happens but do it get started and I promise 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 no matter how tired or you know poopy that you may <laughs> feel prior to the start you will feel leaps and bounds better when you're done when you're done yes I love that two great tips well, Jen and Frank, thank you guys so much for joining me today. Um, I will put their contact information in our show notes, if that's okay with both of you. Yes. So if you have any additional questions, you can reach out to them. And um, if you have any questions or anything that you would like us to answer on a future episode, you can send me an email at healthformation.podcast at gmail.com. So thank you all for tuning in and listening and have a happy and healthy day. 